Hello and welcome to a brand new episode, edition, if you will, of Tyler's Take the Podcast. We're going to be discussing an episode of Mid-Atlantic Championship Wrestling that happened on October the 17th, 1981, on this edition of Mid-Atlantic Championship Wrestling, which was essentially associated with Jim Crockett Promotions out of the Virginia and Carolinas, those states, that region, it encompassed when we're talking about Jim Crockett Promotions, and this was their famous television show, Mid-Atlantic Championship Wrestling. We see in this show where it's NWA United States Champion Sergeant Slaughter. He will take on and battle Frank Monty in the ring in the main event. We also get the great Kabuki, who is also competing in singles action, meaning one-on-one, and Roddy Popper will take on his adversary, Jay Youngblood, and there's so much more action to discuss and have more conversation in length and detail. But this was a exciting episode of that. You got to see a lot of the stars in their prime and their earlier stages of their respective careers. And my name is Tyler Peters. I'm your host, and I am based out of Nashville, Tennessee, the Music City, USA, and I'm just a big wrestling fan, and I love going back to the retro, old-school kind of wrestling. And speaking of that, this is a nice segue into that because I'm part of a podcast. I co-host along with David Fine and and Mike Steyer on the Retro Wrestling Podcast, where we cover a lot of this similar uh, wrestling with the NWA Jim Crockett promotions, more the pay-per-views and old uh, WWF pay-per-views as well. You know it as WWE now. And also on Thursday nights, got to plug this as well, um, a part and also a co-host on the Rewind Wrestling Radio Podcast. Part of that network, we cover more of the modern wrestling, but we also have guests on there that are currently, whether they're independent or professional wrestlers. So you want to go check that out. That's available in, in audio form on Anchor and Spotify as well, those platforms, and also on YouTube in more video form. We also, speaking of the going back to the Retro Wrestling Rewind podcast, we also have audio versions as well. We'll have more information on ways you can go listen to that and share links also, and we also do the video as well for that podcast. But this is strictly just audio, and we're going to get right into this. But I wanted to take time to plug all these uh, great podcasts I'm associated with. And also, I can't forget one more, I also have the opportunity to write for The Buzz. And you'll type in, it'll kind of confuse me a little bit, whatthebuzz.com, but it's realistically The Buzz. That's just our web address. But regardless, we cover sports, we cover wrestling. There's a variety. There's all forms of, whether it's entertainment or sports, you name it, we've got it covered. So go check that out. Uh, very humbled to be in, a part of a team of writers such as uh, onthebuzz.com, and they also have some fantastic podcasts as well, audio as well as video. So also wanted to mention them. That's very important, and uh, you listeners are going to be vital to the success of this thing. I, I revamped it. I wanted to start back with some audio podcasting and cover something that I have a passion for, and that's the old-school wrestling, and especially when it was known as the territorial system in wrestling, the various promotions, and one of my favorites has to be Jim Crockett Promotions and Mid-Atlantic Championship Wrestling. So we've talked about the stars featured and uh, some of the other matches, 
I just want to say it was a golden era of professional wrestling back in the decade of the 1980s. It gave fans a variety of just classic TV programming, such as what we're talking about today. And with the regional territory, the history of the Crockett family in, in the Carolinas and Virginia, and they covered so much more as they were getting more of the territories in the National Wrestling Alliance. And it was just so neat to go back and do the research and, and do some homework in preparation for this particular uh, episode. So talk about that intro featuring the uh, two wrestlers grappling. I think one of them's got a headlock on the other uh, wrestler, his opponent, that would be, and it's got the classic letters of the and logo of the Mid-Atlantic Championship Wrestling with the states we just mentioned, talked about, Virginia and both North and South Carolina. And it had that, uh, the music for the time was appropriate, kind of a a peppier kind of 70s style music, if you will, to borrow that term and, and word. That's a little talking about retro there with uh, using that terms. But we're going to get talking about this uh, particular episode. So let's do it. Let's. Uh, it's a watch along on the WWE Network. Wanted to try this concept, this idea out, and uh, we'll discuss it, or at least I should say me, but it could be a collaborative effort. I would love to hear from you, your comments, your feedback, and you could help correct me if I get something wrong. How about that? And uh, so let's play it along. Let's cue it up, and I'll do my best to uh, break it down, review it, and I've got to be careful not to do commentary. I just want to share my opinions on it, my thoughts. So let's do it right now. And there's that iconic intro for the program. And here's Bob Cottle and David Crockett, the son of Jim Crockett Sr., brother of Jim Crockett Jr., he provided the color commentary. Bob Cattle was your play-by-play -play analyst who also conducted the interviews. So it was an interesting dynamic. Later, you would see Tony Schiavone and David Crockett uh, being the uh, broadcast team. But Bob Cottle would also interchange with Tony Schiavone at times, then eventually Jim Ross and, and many different ones. Bob Cottle is just an influence on me. I, I talk about Jim Ross and Tony Schiavone a lot, but... You have to say Gordon Soley, Lance Russell, going back to Memphis. I mean, so many of these guys were just iconic and uh, were legends, and rightfully so. Uh, have so much respect from their peers. And they're uh, laying the foundation, the groundwork, as commentators play such an integral part in the process, whether creatively and laying out these matches. Uh, I would say so. And they are explaining it. I've actually have watched this episode, but I've got it turned down, so I can only try to read their lips and, uh, you know, explain to the best of my abilities where I wouldn't be able to do the podcast. But right away, we're opening up with an interview segment with a young Jake Roberts, who would later become Jake the Snake Roberts with Jay Youngblood, who is involved in a rivalry with Roddy Popper. And uh, Youngblood and Roberts are a part of a tag team the storyline going on right now is Roberts is calling out Ole Anderson. Ole Anderson's excuse was he didn't have a tag team partner. He's not been able to compete and wrestle the, for those tag team titles, and, and Roberts is uh, don't know what's up with that. He's calling out Ole about that, and Youngblood going to address Piper. This was a tremendous feud. Anytime you got Piper, one of my favorites as a fan, and you forget how how great Jay Youngblood was, especially with the tag team with Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. I, I went back to that on the first Starcade and got to witness just how skilled they were and versatile were uh, Jay Youngblood and Steamboat as a team, a tandem. 
and they're uh, pleading their case. And uh, this is so key, I mean, even with interviews, to build up to a rivalry, a feud. And Bob Cattle, the ultimate stick man, for sure. And then David Crockett right behind him with a very serious expression. And here comes Piper. You knew that was not going to be without the rowdy one coming out. He's got that temper. He's charismatic. He could talk. Him and Flair had some of the best promos, for sure, talking about Piper. And Jay Youngblood standing up to him. He's not going to take it. Piper was, to me, uh, could do the baby face, meaning hero, but he was better as that heel, that villain. He could be obnoxious. I think that's why he did so well doing commentary. It's more the heel uh, persona when he worked for Vince McMahon. You, you heard him a lot on the WWF programming, WWE Now, of course. And he's the hot rod for a reason. The rowdy Scotsman actually from Canada, but in kayfabe land, he was of Scottish heritage, so he was often billed from Glasgow, Scotland. That's why he wore the kilt kind of attire and the bagpipes and, the, and really uh, explored that as part of his gimmick. And Roberts with a smile. I, you talk about a guy that's uh, got some psychology, and we see him in AEW now with uh, the murder hawk Lance Archer. That's Jake Roberts. This is well before he became the snake. They may have been referring to him uh, during this era as the snake, but I, I don't know. I, I believe he was just known as simply Jake Roberts during this time. He was the uh, son of Grizzly Smith, who was involved with Mid-South Wrestling with uh, the great cowboy Bill Watts. And so there's a lot of segues into other promotions. That's what's so uh, fascinating to me as a fan, as a viewer. And Jay Youngblood is laying down the law. He's, he's serious. Those expressions, you've got to mean it. You've got to make us believe. And there's David Crockett and Bob Cottle reiterating about that few that storyline, what's coming up, a lot of that, what they need to promote. That's what I enjoyed. It just how different things were back then, but I thought it was well done. And that's easy for me to say because I'm not involved. I went there and we're going to get a video package. It's of Handsome Jimmy Valiant. You talk about charisma. This is the way to get the talent over to introduce them to your audience. And he was flamboyant. He had, what a ring attire. I mean, just, you'd have to see it to believe it. That's why you need to go check out these episodes. I'm, I'm going to plug the network. Speaking of WWE, plug Mid-Atlantic Championship Wrestling. For that matter, NWA. If you want the good stuff, as far as I'm concerned, my take on it, my opinion, it is Tyler's take, by the way. And there's Jimmy Valiant showing footage of him you know, taking down the competition. He was dancing. He was something else, man, but that he brought it. He kind of reminds you a little bit of maybe not as much in shape, but a little bit like Superstar with the way he had his mustache back then and, and was wearing stuff. But I, I don't know if Superstar had the mustache and facial hair until later, the goatee, but he was fast in that ring for a big guy. Whoever he faced, I mean, I, I'm, a, I'm a small guy, but that guy looked to be, the size difference was was incredible. I'm trying to think of a word. Shoulder tackle. I mean, th this guy just moved so fluently inside the squared circle, and he used that elbow. He was dancing. He was handsome Jimmy Valiant for a reason. And they have to keep doing these video packages. Keep. That's how you got fans familiar. 
but showing different footage, different segments of matches, and he's even in a band. He's rocking out. He's got that colorful attire that catches somebody's eye, and it was the style back then, the 80s, 70s. It wouldn't dare be, you know, hip now, if I can sound cool. I, I don't. I, I, that would probably be me, wear something that was out of date. Uh, I often joke with a lot of my friends, being born in 86, believe it or not, but I would have more of the style back in the 70s. I'm still trying to do my sideburns like Elvis. How about that? You'll get a little bit of comedy, too, because I want to change it up. I want to go deeper into the conversation, but how deep do we need to go? That's the question. I don't know if we need the answer. But there's Valiant, hammered away. They just keep showing it. That's the thing. He's dancing. He's moving. I mean, at least the man can dance. I don't know how it goes into wrestling, but it can work. That's the thing about that form of entertainment that we enjoyed with more of the sports feel and presentation. It also, the studio wrestling feel of it, the lighting, the way they did it back in this era. You had fans just, you know, a certain number, and they would get into it, but they were even sent down. They were just attentive to what they were witnessing, watching. And there's a look at his interviews. He could, talking about guys that could talk, that could really get their message across in a unique way. That was handsome Jimmy Valiant for sure. No doubt about it. No question. And uh, we'll see him in a match. They are still showing this footage. Now, it goes on for a while. That's why, but I understand it. I forgot about it because I actually watched this before and took some notes to help me out with the watch-along. And the, the kids, the families love him. Heck, I think the women are even giving him high fives. There you go. Like a rock star. Come on. Some of these wrestlers have that persona. It's it's still different. And he is Mr. Rock and Roll. There's handsome Jimmy Valiant. And he's going to be in the opening match against his opponent, Jim Nelson. And here's a different venue that's got all those flags. Remember the country flags. If you remember, grew up in the Carolinas, Virginia, even over in Tennessee. If you got a little bit of where your TV got Mid-Atlantic Championship Wrestling. Jim Nelson was... A great wrestler. He got his beginning, his start in Jim Crockett Promotions. But Valiant is so quick. We talked about it. We touch on how deceptively fast he is for a big guy. And this was just not going to be very technical. They just brawled. I mean, especially in a lot of these contests during this time. And so neat to go back and review these type of shows and programs and value with a nice toss on Nelson. Nelson went on to have quite the career, not just in NWA, but the WWF. He later became Boris Zukov, if I'm not mistaken. That's why I might need your all's help on the research, but I believe I was Googling that. If nothing else, Google it, and sometimes then check it out, especially if it's Wikipedia, for crying out loud. You know, no offense to Wikipedia, by the way. And here's uh, Nelson. He's fine back, putting the fist into the the obliques, into the ribs, or at least close to that area. Try not to do commentary, but get a little tempted. But this was a fun match. I mean, a way to get Valiant over. And, and Nelson was established. He could, you know, work well with anybody, so... This has made logical sense. It's easy for me to say once again watching it. I, I went behind the scenes booking the match, obviously, or evidently. It was well before I was born, so that wouldn't have worked anyways, and I would have been just a kid. 
I kind of laugh at myself for that. You can even make fun of me. Why not? Send your uh, suggestions and your best jokes. And there's Nelson off the ropes, takes a back elbow. There's a, an elbow to the chest, and Valiant's going to win it. He uses momentum to execute the elbow. And what a victory for handsome Jimmy Valiant and a nice match over Nelson, his opponent. Here we go. We don't have to wait long. The second match is Roddy Piper versus Jay Youngblood. And Piper was stalling. This was those classic hill tactics, even over there at the commentators with Cottle and, and Crockett. David Crockett, that is, to be more specific and more detailed. He was rowdy, rowdy, rowdy Piper. That's what I should have said to begin with. He had that temper. He really legitimately boxed. I don't know if a lot of fans knew that about Piper. Classic NWA emblem on the center of the blue mat, kind of a light blue to give you more description, but you got like flags from New Zealand, Japan, Hanging on the wall, it was what I noticed and took away from that building they were wrestling at. It was more that studio wrestling. And Piper and Youngblood are locking up. And right away, they're not going to waste any time. They're going to go at it. I don't know that you're going to get much scientific wrestling in this match either. But I like how they paced it. They don't have to always go quick because you got That's a storytelling in itself, an art inside the ring and outside of it as well. A lot that I'm starting to understand from a lot of the old school minds that even new schoolers are trying to implement today when they're going back studying film, studying, doing their homework, getting ready to go to work in the ring for their match. in a filling out process, as they call it, because they're trying to get position on who can get the better of the other man. That's what Pomper and Youngblood are doing to break down this match. He grabs that longer hair by Youngblood. That can be a weapon, just like with football. You can use it. Those locks of Youngblood, that's what Pomper was doing, but it, it was a mistake as Pomper's own momentum sent him out, or at least Youngblood helped with that. I should say getting him outside the ring through the ropes. And Piper is regrouping, uh, trying his best is what I was going to say. And to stop myself there, uh, it was important because you, once you knew that you were getting wore down a little bit, you had to uh, make them wait, your opponent, when talking about Youngblood. That was very key to the strategy. And look at Piper, a test of strength. With Youngblood, looks like he's getting the best. They're both at a vertical base. That's meaning their feet. You'd hear a lot of the commentators say that, reference that. And right now, Youngblood is weakening down to his knees as it is Piper with the advantage. There's the official. Actually, the officials had some uh, unique wardrobe with the shirts green, a very retro look, definitely representative of the early 80s, maybe even in the late 70s, that decade. And both men tried to work on the arm, and now it's just a brawl. I mean... These guys are, it's a fight, it's a, this rivalry has told that story, it's personal, there's that issue, you've got to have an issue, and that's why it brought, and there's a leg scissors. I shouldn't say there wouldn't be any kind of technical moves, I'm just, I think you're going to get more of a fight when you get Piper, though, and Youngblood. I don't think their, uh, their skill set goes to technical. They can do it, but I, I think with the way the matches are done, and for what they, they were, that's not what they were trying to accomplish. 
It, it's all based on what the backstory is too, and and what their rivalry is going to entail as well as what dictates, you know, whether the pace of the match, what they need to do in the match. I believe just just my vantage point, my perspective. I may be wrong. Nice drop toe hold. Young Blood was, um, like I said before, with Steamboat as a tag team. It's a shame he didn't have a better singles run. I mean, I love Ricky the Dragon Steamboat, but going back watching some of the Jay Young Blood matches were just tremendous. The guy was had it all. He had the it factor, as they say, and he's working on Popper, working on his legs. And uh, Young Blood definitely fit the babyface profile, and and Popper was just. Even though he could transition to a great babyface, that hero, that likable person, he was just so much better to dislike. He just played that villain uh, part so well. And uh, trying to regroup again, but he's going to get counted out, but he knows that. That's all part of the game plan. All part of his strategy, talking about the rowdy Scott. If we're keeping in kayfabe from Scotland, not from Canada. Shoulder tackle, man, and now the pace quickens. They were methodical, but they could go fast. They're going to prove me wrong by watching the match again. And the fans are getting into it. They're not quite standing up, but at least they're clapping. There's some motion in the background. And it makes you think during a pandemic how much you miss even having a little bit of fans. I mean, that adrenaline in any sport with a sports-based kind of entertainment like, such as wrestling as well. I mean, fans are so crucial to the success of any program. So you got to commend a lot of these uh, wrestling shows now in the modern era and what they're doing. I mean, could you imagine a pandemic back then? I mean, think about it. It would be hard, but the wrestlers could do it because they're professionals and they work hard at it to hone their skills, their craft, as they would call it, like in football, basketball, any kind of sport. Or if you're an actor in a, any kind of movie as well. And here's Piper back on the offense. Just when you think you got uh, Rowdy Popper down, as Youngblood had thought, he gets back into it. That shows you his, uh, his want to, his desire, his resilience. That was a word I was trying to think of, and I'm glad it, it came to me there. Thank God for that. But sometimes they don't always come to you, let me tell you. Young blood gonna fight back though. You gotta have nice back and forth. He's the hero. He's not gonna be down and out for too long. It's just like a, a good movie, classic good guy, bad guy story. This is a tr tremendous match between Piper and Young Blood. Not only was the story, the background, uh, very well done, but just the way these guys would brawl, and then they could slow it down. They could pick up the pace. They knew what they were doing because they are the professionals, of course. Nice slam there. And I often will break down moves, but I don't want to always do that because, you know, nothing wrong with it, but kind of want to change up the whole idea and dynamic of doing this show, this program, talking about Tyler's take. And Mid-Atlantic Championship Wrestling was just where it was at, let me tell you. Young blood with kind of open hand slaps, a form of chop, and there's that color. They bled a lot during this uh, time period in the 80s in uh, wrestling, and Piper's already busted open on his forehead, I believe. Uh, yeah, on his forehead. Watching Long's help, 
if I was just doing notes, it, I may be a little iffy, but thank God for some of these watch-alongs because that does help kind of know where he was bleeding with more of the detail and context there. And he's got that sleeper hold. The sleeper hold used to be a big-time finisher. Now it's just kind of used midway in a match. That's what you realize, too. A lot of what was the finishing holds or maneuvers, the moves, so to speak, just different ways of saying that, describing that action and movement in the ring, is a sleeper hold would put them away, but you didn't, not so much nowadays with a lot of the, uh, the modern-day wrestling compared to the old-school way of doing things. That, that's what's intriguing to me, interesting as well is when you really go back and look and watch for that. And a suplex, a pivotal point in the match when you would hit a suplex or a slam or some big move, it would change the complexion, and that's it would change momentum, the control. Think of it like this. You, you also have to be on defensive as well as offensive, like sports, anything, to where momentum is so key to uh, what you were doing. And there's the pace quickening young blow with a nice crossbody block. I'm going to have to describe the action a little bit, the moves. Don't want to overuse the word action, though. Got to watch that. But we are live recording this audio for the podcast. So it's going to happen. And Popper just desperate right now. He's bleeding. He's got to go right after young blow. But these guys are just fine. It didn't matter what the scenario was. The even the Hills were not afraid just to mix it up. They, they knew when to buy time, but they knew to, when to get in there and make it competitive. And that's something else you took away from watching these uh, classic programs. And both men are down. Could it be a double count out? Surely not. I hope not. But you gotta, you got to get into it. That's a possibility. There's a pinfall by Piper. I think this match may have been the longer one, and, and rightfully so, with uh, the stakes in it between Piper and Youngblood. Piper, surprise there. See, he had that look. That, that's, that's that psychology. I mean, people are going to be like, he's really surprised. I mean, that's just an example. That's why I got a little more excited in my tone of voice. But I thoroughly enjoyed this matchup. Uh, just remind you once again what I've stated the point. There's an inside cradle by Piper. And I believe a near fall very close to a three count. Nice near fall there by Piper. But going back to Youngblood, he was ahead of his time. This was when he was in his prime. So was Piper. I mean, Piper went on to have some great matches with uh, working for Vince McMahon. But I think it's the territories. I think it's the promotion with Crockett is where Piper excelled. And we started to see the early shades of what would become uh, Rowdy Roddy Piper. And uh, he would involve more when talking about his, his gimmick overall. But this is, this is really where he came, uh, at least in my opinion, to be one of my favorite uh, incarnations of who he was. When uh, referencing, talking about Piper, so you have an idea of who we're talking about. Or at least me, I'm, I'm doing solo. I'm so used to co-host now that I've not done the solo one, so I'm so used to saying all of who we're talking about. But it's just me, so have to remember that. And both men are just, they're in desperation mode right now. And that official is so 
is so important too. All the referees, there's so many moving parts that I'm having to understand as a fan, as somebody that don't know. I'm not claiming to know all the ins and outs of the wrestling uh, profession, the business. You could call it the industry. And there's Piper with that, that kind of offense where he just brawls, he just hammers you. He's punching you, putting rights and left hands. And he's got young blood on the mat. He's got him right where he wants him. And he's telling that official to get out of the way. He even threw him down. Would that be a disqualification would be the question. But no, he's not going to call for the bell. I guess it wasn't enough to warn it. And I'm kind of glad because we don't want to see that kind of finish, I don't think, for this match. I thank God he didn't. Even as a fan. I mean, I need to get into it myself, even reviewing it. Add to the excitement of it. No, it must have been a disqualification. It must have been. He called for the bell. Another official came out, so it must have happened. Shoving the official. I, I'm surprised it wouldn't, and, and sometimes the reaction you can tell then it was. That confirmed it. Piper leaving the ring. Had to have another official come out, another referee. It's a fancier term for saying referee at times. It depends. There are other officials above the referees in wrestling. But Youngblood helped his feet by the official, and I believe he won by DQ. So, Piper was attacking him after the match. That's true. And we get some more interview segments. It's uh, a young Barry Wyndham who was known as Black Jack Mulligan Jr. His father was Black Jack Mulligan, the original. And then uh, we get Johnny Weaver, who's a great wrestler, and Paul Jones. Both these guys were very well established in the Crockett promotion, and we, we saw... Blackjack Mulligan Jr., it, it, they were talking about the armories. I mean, it would that's some of my experiences as a wrestling fan, and whether it was Tennessee or wherever you may have lived, you go to the armories, you know, to watch some of these wrestling shows, and, and you saw the big stars. I mean, even before their prime, maybe they were in their prime, but it was still a very cool experience. And Johnny Weaver, I think the storyline, it was so interesting. You saw Lord Alfred Hayes during this time, and you forget some of the guys that you see in WrestleManias that, you know, working for Vince, certain events, that they were either commentators, they were notorious managers of uh, the certain talent uh, pertaining to the wrestlers, meaning the wrestlers. Uh, and it's the Russian team that that Lord Alfred Hayes has, and they're addressing that. That's what the storyline currently is about with Paul Jones and, and Johnny Weaver. Uh, Paul Jones and I think Weaver will be tag teaming or somehow Weaver's involved, whether he's in the tag team or not. So they would do it in these kind of uh, even TV news studios, the interview segments. And, and here's a match I can't wait to talk about. Charlie Fulton has to take on the great Kabuki. Now, I think this may be his debut, I'm not for sure, but talk about a different kind of presentation for this era back in the 80s was Kabuki, but I enjoyed it. I thought it was something different, it was something fresh, something new, it changed things up, and that's always good. It's not always a bad thing to change the, uh, the presentation, the dynamic. I know I go back to that word, but it's so true. And Gary Hart was his manager. I'm trying to think if Gary Hart was actually managing him during his mid-Atlantic run. I know later on when they'd go to Texas, like Mid-South, Oklahoma, world-class championship wrestling, you'd see Gary Hart align with him, another fantastic manager. And talk about a mind for the business. They don't get talked about enough. We talk about Cornette, Jim Cornette, Bobby Heenan. That would be Gary Hart as well. 
And even Paul Jones, who was just in that last segment, was a tremendous manager. But Kabuki had that mask or something over his face to really... You didn't know what to expect when his identity was revealed. Once again, that's all part of psychology and the surprise element that you had even now, back during this uh, time period, this time, uh, this story line that goes with the time, I meant to say. I, I tell you, Kabuki got me all confused. What can I say? That's my excuse there. And he's doing some stretches. I mean, he was he was playing mind games is all it is, all it was, with uh, Charlie Fulton here. And we're going to see him. This is what all the fans, all the viewers wanted to see. My goodness, he's got face paint on. He just, he looks like a scary guy. I mean, this is just classic if I've ever seen it. And Charlie Fulton don't know what to make of it. The commentators, Cottle and, and David Crockett, are telling you that. They're relaying that, that story. What a chop. They call it the judo chop. Any martial arts chop was a judo chop. And to their defense, I wouldn't know what to call martial arts, but I know that reminds me of it, and that is a chop. And it took down Charlie Fulton like he got struck by lightning, which I hope nobody does, but my goodness. And Kabuki with a nice kick. Another chop. And one, two, and three, the referee counts. This match did not last long at all. It's over. It was just a match to make an impression, stand out, give Kabuki the quick, decisive victory, the win. And that's what it did. It was getting Kabuki over his gimmick. The great Kabuki at that. Let me correct it, just like I had to do with Piper. He was Rowdy Roddy Piper. i got to get these things right, folks. And that's where you... As fans, fellow fans, viewers, you know, of these kind of shows, listeners of the different various podcasts, and I hope including mine, can also be of great assistance to me on some of the facts. With all this, even taking the notes, sometimes got to do my own fact-checking as well, and uh, the preparation, prep as you would call it, just for short. We still got some... A few more matches to go on the program. That one didn't last long. We get an interview with Wahoo McDaniel with Bob Cottle. He's the uh, guy with the microphone interviewing McDaniel, and Wahoo's just one of the greatest. I love uh, Wahoo, one of my favorites. Wahoo does not like Piper. I think this was back before Youngblood and Steamboat were aligned. If I'm not mistaken, it was Youngblood was aligned with uh, Wahoo McDaniel. And he is uh, letting Piper have it in this interview segment. He had the classic logo of Mid-Atlantic Championship Wrestling behind him. And these were just vintage interviews and, and promos. And Wahoo McDaniel was a NFL star as well. A lot of these guys came from a lot of athletic backgrounds and transitioned into pro wrestlers. So he was uh, all, you talk about a guy that knew how to chop and those uh, strap matches or Indian death matches were a specialty for Wahoo. And they would bleed, man. They would go for it. And he was a tough guy. Ric Flair was a big fan of life. I think a lot of wrestlers were revered that uh, Wahoo McDaniel respected him. And here comes Jake the Snake Roberts, a big guy. 
I think at least 6'5". He wore the cowboy hat during this time. It was very different from what we would see out of Jake the Snake Roberts, a younger Jake Roberts.